Hi, I'm Claire Riley and welcome to MS Understood. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in April 2017. At the time, all I wanted to do was get on with my life, put my head in the sand and privately listen to real people's stories about living with this unpredictable disease. I was deep in denial, terrified about the unknown ahead and I felt really alone. So here it is. MS Understood, conversations with real people from all walks of life who live with MS. Before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge that this episode of MS Understood was recorded across multiple lands. I recognise and acknowledge that all of Australia is Aboriginal land and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. If a participant wants to you know, apply for a trampoline, I'll, I'll put that forward, you know, that's your request. But if you've got the evidence that can back it up as to why do you need the trampoline, how does it relate to your disability, um, you know, how is it going to support you in your everyday life, what benefit is it getting you, um, is it going to reduce um, possibly your funding long term, um, is it going to reduce the risk of harm, things like that, or injury, um, you know, but then... Uh, it comes down to, yeah, again, the evidence that comes with it. Today on MS Understood, we are chatting all things NDIS with Sarah, who was my local area coordinator with the NDIS. She shares so many tips about how to get initially accepted into the NDIS and we talked through all the next steps. We had so many questions via Instagram and she answered all of them. She talks about what it's completely unreasonable to ask for and things that are reasonable to ask for, how she recommends creating a good application and what's the most outrageous thing she's ever had anyone requesting I know NDIS can be super tricky to navigate and it's so, so valuable when you finally do get it. And I've mentioned so many times that if I didn't have the NDIS, I know that I wouldn't be walking right now. So I really hope that this is a valuable episode for you and I really hope that this can help with your application. Um, Sarah also chats about what she's doing now that she's finished up at the NDIS and like I said, I really, really hope this helps you in some way. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us on the MS Understood podcast today. How are you going? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you. Now, I need to start telling by telling everyone, you used to work for NDIS and the reason that we know each other is that you were my local area coordinator. That's right. Um, which I suppose um, when you do a bit of an introduction, can you talk about what that is? Sure. Um, so, yeah, we'll start with, yeah, if you can give us a bit of an introduction about who you are and what you did at the NDIS um, and what an LAC is. No worries. So, yeah, so previously I worked at Latrobe Community Health Services. So that is the partner company for the NDIS in the Barwon region, so in Geelong. And, yeah, for the last three years I worked as a local area coordinator. So pretty much my role was meeting with NDIS participants having a meeting with them about their uh, NDIS plan, uh, talking about um, their goals, aspirations, um, if they're the, like the support that they're requiring, if they're needing assistive technology and things like that. Um, to cut it short, I was pretty much just an information gatherer. 
for the NDIS. So I sit down with the participant, gather all the information, all the requests, um, you know, and getting that evidence as well as NDIS is an evidence-based scheme. So any reports that have been handed in, um, trials on equipment, et cetera. Um, and then I put all that together and then you would submit that then to the NDIS and that's when a planner um, or a delegate would then have a look at it and then they make the decision on approving a plan. But people were connected with you once they had been approved for the NDIS. So the the collection of, and that's one of the questions that we've that I've got for you, is the yep. collection of of um, um collection of all the info and information and that kind of thing that in some way needs to happen also before people apply for the NDIS yeah so before you actually have a meeting with me you would well within a local area coordinator you would first uh, fill out an access request form and on that form you'd have all your personal information your diagnosis Um, also you'd have an allied health professional um, or your GP or your specialist Um, they would then write out their um, supporting uh, info as well and then compile all the information and then you'd submit that to NDIS to gain access. And then once you've gained access, um, the agency would usually get back in contact with you, let you know that you've gained access and then you'd be contacted by someone from the local area coordinator office. So that's sort of the the, um, process, what you've just discussed, is the process of how to get access to the NDIS. Can you talk, just for those people who don't know, what is the NDIS? So the NDIS is the National Insurance Disability Scheme and it's also the, so you've got NDIA, which is the National Disability Insurance, so the agency, and then you've got the scheme. So basically um, it's a a great program, um, initiative and everything from the government that provides uh, people with disabilities um, the funding that they require to continue to live independently, uh, whether they're at home, if they're in residential accommodation, and things like that. So in terms of one-on-one support, um, care in the home, in the community, if you're needing um, maybe a wheelchair or a ramp or access and things like that to your own home, um, you can apply for pretty much anything that you you are needing um, to just remain independent um, and things like that and obviously safe as well. So Yeah. And so people obviously they get their – the process which you spoke about before, but I'm going to go over it really kind of thoroughly because yep. I know that's something that people are really interested in. What if someone's thinking, I'm going to apply for the NDIS, I need some funding, I need physiotherapy support as their yep. kind of primary, which was me. My primary goal was to get physiotherapy support. Where do they start? What do they do? Yep. So first of all, so you can access the website, the NDIS website. You can download the access request form from there and pretty much it'll be self-explanatory on the form. It'll tell you that, yeah, you need to um, obviously fill in your personal information, your diagnosis, um, and again, just gather all that information. So a supporting letter uh, from your GP or your specialist that states the diagnosis. Um, It also needs to state the functional impact that your diagnosis has on you, um, obviously on your everyday life. Um, 
And then basically then, yeah, keep gathering a heap of information. Like you can never hand in too much information. Um, If you are needing physiotherapy, you can go to your physio, get that supporting letter that states why physiotherapy is required to support your diagnosis and how it's going to help you, how it's going to support you in your everyday life to maintain independence and things like that. So my number one, like, I think number one thing that I always just told everyone was you cannot have enough information. Mm. They want it. If you've got 30 reports, hand in 30 reports because yeah. the more information you've got, the better. Mm. Um, and definitely around that functional impact, that is a really um, probably like a really a highlighted one. Um, like I said, it's an evidence-based scheme. So they want to know exactly how the physiotherapy is going to support you and things like that so it's really key that functional impact um and then yeah once you've got everything collaborated then you can either hand it off um in person at the ndis office in little mallet street um or you can send it through the post and things like that and then pretty much um it's usually a quick process i think they've um i think it's been announced that they've got like a quick turnaround that they've got to do uh to be able to get you onto the scheme Um, And if you didn't meet access, then they'd provide you that information and they'd let you know what you were missing pretty much. Because I did have um, a question on via Instagram of someone who has secondary progressive MS and has been denied five times. Yeah. um, Which is tricky. And I think you've just answered um, a question that I was going to ask next is any tips for writing really good applications. So by the sounds of things is just get heaps and heaps of evidence. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, you cannot have enough, um, and especially around that keyword of uh, the functional, so the functional Function. impact. Yeah. yeah. So pretty much, yeah, they're, they're wanting to know exactly uh, what the difficulties are, um, you know, and how obviously the support from NDIS, so the funding, whether it be one-on-one, if it's going to be assistive technology, um, things like that, how that directly relates to your diagnosis. And something I, this is me going rogue now, but it's something is um, not, I suppose, a physical symptom, but something like fatigue. Can you get, um, I suppose, evidence from your doctors of um, things that you can have functionally to help with that fatigue? So, for example, um, support workers or someone to do your groceries or someone to do the driving for you and those sorts of things. So, I mean, even if people can't see your, MS symptoms, you can still prove the functional support that you would need? Yeah, absolutely. So, again, um, it's the functional impact. So, obviously, the MS and related to that is fatigue um, and things like that. So, definitely that all relates. It comes from the the actual diagnosis. So, the MS and, you know, if another way to look at it is like if you didn't have MS, then you wouldn't be fatigued. So, you know, or fatigue to that point that you would need extra support. So, again, yeah, definitely having more evidence and having another letter that says, okay, well, one of the symptoms of MS is fatigue and it does affect, um, you know, this person on a daily basis in this sort of sense, um, whether it's a morning thing or if it's an afternoon, um, you know, again, you're just providing more information and more in-depth and, yeah, and that would just relate to, okay, well, we need a support worker to come in, um, obviously, too, because 
safety reasons as well. We all know like when we're fatigued, you've got an increased risk of falls or there's an increased risk of, you know, an injury or something like that, either at home, the community. Um, But again, if you can have that evidence that relates why you need that support, then, you know, that's pretty much all you're needing. Yeah. And you spoke before is if you, um, if your plan, if you don't, if you're not granted access, is there an appeals process or do you need to just go through the whole application again? No. So they should provide you evidence or they should provide you a letter stating um, perhaps what you were missing. Like, yes, we've got all this information, but, you know, we don't have a letter from, you know, your specialist or an allied health professional. Um, Maybe you missed off, um, you know, just some personal information on the form. Um, But usually they should. I mean, I didn't work in access or anything like that. So, but they should provide you some information. Like if you didn't gain access, they should dot point um, why. Um, And then they might even just, I think, um, is that they'll provide, they'll allow you like a certain time to gather that extra evidence. So it might be another 30 days or 60 days um, for you to just quickly grab that extra form and then resubmit it. Um, Unless you were completely denied or like you didn't gain access then I would assume yeah you'd just start all that um, process again um, but again just try and get more evidence. Yeah. So when I first applied was uh, the November or December before I got access um, yep. and I just got a flat out no I didn't get it I just got a no you don't have access um, and I had a letter from my neurologist who pretty much just wrote Claire has MS, like, you know, because yeah. classic neurologist. And then with my next application, my physiotherapist wrote a letter. Um, and I remember the day that I got the call saying that I'd been approved access and I was in the hospital talking to them about how I couldn't afford to go and do all the things that I needed to do to keep looking after myself and got the call. I was sobbing my eyes out to my MS nurse and got the call and just kept crying. I, and she, I had to pass the phone to her because I couldn't speak. Yeah. I was now crying from relief of having access to that money because I use, and I think it's really fun, you know, people like, as you know, I, I've got an e-bike and um, a new hairdryer and an Apple watch to help with um, different kind of, like you said, functional things. Um and that's all good and well, but the stuff that I really need is the access to the physiotherapy and um, exercise physiology. And um, yeah, that's the stuff that I suppose people don't see or don't, um, isn't as fun as the other things that yeah. you know, I have access to. Yeah. Um, um, is there things that you've noticed? And I suppose you wouldn't see that part because you would usually get access to people after they've got access. But is there things that you have heard that people often kind of forget or leave out or is it more a just of not having enough evidence in general? Um, do you mean like during a plan, plan yeah. meeting? Yeah. yeah um, I suppose for their first application, So, but once they've got their application, yep. once they've been approved, like things that you would sit down, I remember having our first meeting and you talking about all the things because I was like, I oh, just want physio and blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, what else can we apply for? Like, is there things that you think people forget about or leave out? Yeah, I guess that um, that part I, I really strongly 
think that it comes down to probably lack of education um, around NDIS and what NDIS um, can fund. Um, and that's why I think having those meetings, um, especially from someone that's just gained access like yourself when we first met, um, you know, I really enjoyed just educating you on what um, NDIS is here for, how we can help. And like you said, you, you know, you just needed or that you were just wanting physio, but also there were those other functional impacts um, that we've discussed, like, you know, the risk of falls and to minimise all them, then, yeah, let's let's implement a support worker that can help you on those days where you are feeling tired or things like that or just, you know, the the symptoms and everything that you're feeling, that's when we can get that extra support in. So, um, yeah, it's I guess it just comes down to that lack of education, but then, you know, a role of the support, uh, the local area coordinator is to educate you in those meetings. It's to tell you this is, like, you have access to all of these supports. It's just whether or not you need it. So having those conversations, um, it's just, yeah, basically about having that really thorough conversation about let's go through everything, like what does the typical day look like and let's pinpoint the points, like, that you need support. Yeah. So, yeah, and if anything did get missed, um, you know, a simple email or a phone call, you know, it can easily still be added to all the information and, and things like that. So, but, yeah, it's basically just that conversation um, and that's one part that I really enjoyed about the role was just really sitting down and when you go through what a typical day looks like, the even the participant will realise, oh, like, okay, I actually yeah, do need more support than what I was thinking yeah. um, and yeah. things like that. So, and obviously, you know, uh, you want to minimise any minor risk. So mm. implementing those sports, maybe if you don't need it or not, but having it there um, in case of emergency, you know, in case that just that you had that fall, you know, you've got that support that you can implement that would get you home faster from hospital or get you yeah. back on your feet a lot quicker. Yeah. So um, what I suppose, uh, what is, well, what's reasonable to ask for, but also what are some things that NDIS just don't fund? What so, won't they pay for? Yeah. So main one comes down to is like uh, you're separating health from disability. Mm. So a lot of like your GP appointments um, that, you know, you wouldn't, NDIS wouldn't pay for a GP because that would fall under Medicare. So, yep. again, it's that education as to what is health, what's disability. Um, education is another one. So NDIS uh, wouldn't pay for tutoring or we wouldn't pay for supports to go into the school like a, um, a teacher's aid because that would be funded from the government. So that's education department. Um, but when it comes to, you know, your diagnosis and the disability and the impacts, you know, you're quite free to request anything really um it just depends whether it relates uh to your disability or to your diagnosis and obviously the evidence that's backed so yeah. um you know it's it's tricky some people have come in with oh lots of requests um but again i you know in that meeting as a local area coordinator i'm gathering the evidence if a participant wants to you know, apply for a trampoline, I'll I'll put that forward, you know, that's your request. But if you've got the evidence that can back it up as to why do you need the trampoline, how does it relate to your disability, um, you know, how is it going to support you in your everyday life, what benefit is it getting you, um, is it going to reduce um, possibly your funding long term, um, is it going to reduce the risk of harm, things like that, or injury, Um 
you know, but then uh, it comes down to, yeah, again, the evidence that comes with it. Um, And possibly if it's um, uh, parental responsibility as well for a lot of children, uh, parental responsibility can come in as to, you know, again, if you were paying for, uh, if you requested like a CD player, again, does it relate to the disability or is it just a CD player that any child would want that mum and dad would buy? Mm. So just that relation to how does it relate to your disability um, and things like that. Then that's a conversation then the NDIS or the agency would have, the delegate. Um, and, if again, if you've got the evidence to back you up, it could possibly get funded. Mm. That's one of the things I learned. So I asked for... Um, care for my son for over the school holiday so that I didn't get fatigued but was told and totally understandable that's my responsibility to pay for childcare as I'm his parent and he hasn't got the disability and also um, when things are Medicare funded so I obviously have a lot of doctor's appointments and some of those are medical um, are Medicare supported and some of them aren't and the ones that are Medicare funded don't get NDIS support but the other ones can so that's something that I've learned what is, without giving anything from any privacy away, what's yep. the most thing that you um, thought was the kind of the most outrageous that someone asked for while you're working for the NDIS? Um, oh, look, I don't know. Um, I don't think I ever came across anything that was like completely outrageous. Um, a lot of, yeah, I'm not really sure. Um, Probably the trampoline is always a good one. <laughs> the trampoline's always it always pops up. Yeah. Um, but again, that can be used for you know children with autism um, in regulating their emotions and and things like that. So it's not completely outrageous. Um, some people might think it is, but um, again, it's it comes down to the education. Like, why would someone with autism like need a trampoline? Like it's a, yeah. a really weird request, um, but again, the benefits it can have. It could be a cost-reducing um, item as well. So long term, if you think, well, if we kept paying for therapy supports that do get quite expensive, but if they had this trampoline that's been recommended from you know the therapists and everything, that it actually does help. Um, you know, it's uh, um, yeah, regulating emotions and things like that. Possibly you might see a decrease in the therapy funding in 10 years' time because this $500 trampoline is working wonders and, you know, he's, you know that child could be um, really benefiting from it. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think sometimes what I found more outrageous is probably um, some of the requests in um, funding probably from the therapy side of things. So um, a lot of therapists would be just perhaps over-requesting over the amount of time that they possibly need with the participant, um, especially I think when it comes down to the children. Like you've got to think a child's going to school, then they're coming home, but then maybe the therapists are requesting like, you know, seven hours a week worth of therapy. Well, you know, where does a kid fit that in? Yeah. I don't even know where I'd be able to fit that in. Yeah, um, yeah you know, things like that. But, again, every case is individual um, and, yeah, not here to, to judge on anyone or anything like that. But, um, yeah, it just, again, comes down to the evidence and what's what's put forward. 
Yeah. And I think one thing, um, I do have a question about how people can be prepared to come to their planning meeting. But yep. one thing that I noticed is that I could go into a planning meeting and we, we only had a couple, but and ask for $400,000 worth of things, for example. That's yep. very outrageous and not yep. <laughs> how much funding I'm getting. But, um, and you can put, you can say, cool, yeah, we've got evidence for all of that. But once it goes on to NDI, once it goes on to get um, kind of approved every year, our plans get approved, yep. um, that can then come back as $150,000 worth of things with only X, Y, and Z approved as opposed to A, B, C, and D. They don't think that is warranted. Is that correct? Yeah, yep. So the NDIS have the, the planner or the delegate um, and they they are the ones that will approve the plan. So they will look at all the evidence and they will make that decision if it meets the reasonable and necessary standard, which is NDIS. So there is a criteria that all those items have to meet um, and if they don't meet it, then uh, information should be then provided back as to why you weren't funded. Possibly it could be there wasn't enough evidence or, you know, there was no evidence at all. Um, another thing could be that there may not have been enough trials. So if someone was requesting the top of the range, um, you know, Mercedes-Benz of wheelchairs, um, you need to also show that you've trialled other equipment before that, before you've got to that. So have you trialled, you know, the, the medium range? You know, why do you need to go for the Mercedes straight away? things yeah. like that so yeah. yeah it could just be lack of evidence or it's just not meeting the criteria yeah oh so I suppose we're going through so we've started with how people can write their applications how yep. people can kind of get funding um I suppose the next kind of lot of questions is how people can find oh can people bring a support person or advocate to their planning meeting so absolutely they can example if if um, I was, or there was an 18 year old woman got diagnosed with MS and she didn't want to take her mum to the meeting because she had maybe questions around sex or, um, you know, personal hygiene or things that she didn't kind of want to talk to her about. She can bring someone different yep. along who can kind of advocate for her. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Perfect. Yeah. No issues at all with that. Um, a planner's. Planners? This is a question I've been sent. Are planners able to provide suggestions on providers' services? So can you help, and I know you do, with um, suggestions of services, goal setting, um, different funding things that we might want to apply for? You can help with all of those things. Yes. Yep. So the LACs, um, yep. So they can definitely sit down with you and really work on um, specific goals, like a SMART goal, um, making sure that it is, um, you know, obviously one, it's it's uh, really pinpoints what it is um, that you want to achieve. Um, instead of it just being something simple like, I want to access the community, sort of break that down. So I would like to access the community to increase my social skills. So just a little bit more detail. So definitely working on goals um, you can have those conversations with. When it comes down to searching for providers and things like that, technically as an LAC you can't just provide one um, due to obviously conflicts and of interest and things like that. Um, so the LAC will guide you obviously to um, search like via Google, um, uh, or you can provide um, maybe like a list, like if it's like a list of 20 providers, but essentially that decision is to come from you um, and things like that. But, yeah, definitely, but then it, 
um, our role, sorry, the role of an LAC as well is to build your independence and your capacity. So assisting you to either come into the office or over the phone, hey, how about you get on the computer, let's Google this together and we can go step by step and I'll tell you what to look for or what um, buttons to click on their website and things like that. So a lot of it is, yeah, just to help build capacity um, and obviously just keep you guys or the participants in control. Yeah. Once, so once our, we've gained access to the NCIS, we've met with our local area coordinator, our plan has been approved. Yep. There's multiple different options of, I suppose, managing that money. Um, and that was something that really confused me because everyone was <laughs> like, go self-managed. Um, can you talk a bit about those so people know what they're signing up for and what the kind of intricate differences are? Sure. So you've got three options. One is agency managed. The second is plan managed. And the third is self-managed. So agency managed is where you uh, would only be using registered NDIS providers only because what happens there is um, that registered provider would go onto the NDIS portal and they would invoice NDIS um, themselves to be paid directly from the agency. Plan management is where you'd have what I called like a third-party account. It's someone on your behalf, which NDIS pays for, that will pay all your invoices for you, um, which you can still um, self-manage out of that as well. So self-managing is where you would pay either upfront or you can upload the invoice via your NDIS portal on your MyGov and NDIS can either reimburse you once they've seen the invoice or they will deposit the funding um, of that invoice into your bank account so then you can go pay it. Even when you're still plan managing, you have that option to still uh, pay for something up front and then you can show your plan manager um, that invoice and say, hey, I've paid for this out of my own money. I'd like to be reimbursed from my plan. It's as simple as just filling out the reimbursement form and then that plan manager will just um, take that funding and put it then back into your bank. So it's... So um, oh, sorry. No, no, you're right. Oh, no. uh, also, the options too, when you are planned and self-managed, you've got the option to use registered and non-registered providers. So a lot more flexibility and choice and control with that as well. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So I'm plan managed. And at the start, because I was already seeing my physio and I was already doing a bunch of stuff and I didn't want to then have to change to NDIS approved or registered yeah. um, practitioners. So plan rate. And also I suppose the other thing to note is that you actually get money on top of your plan to pay or like additional, I suppose, yes. in your plan to pay for the plan management. So that's not coming out of um, any kind of other allocation. That's money set Separate. aside directly to pay for that. Yep. Um, and I find it so easy. Some things I pay for, like you said, or if I'm going to just do this one off, I'll go and pay for it and then get reimbursed. And other things like um, my physiotherapy gets um, sent straight to my agency every week and my um, myotherapy gets sent straight there. So I'm not out of pocket for those kind of regular things. Um, and that works really well for me. So, yeah, because when I first started, people definitely suggested going straight to self-managed, which I frankly can't afford to do because it means yeah. that I have to outlay all of that money up front um, and now I don't have to. So it's great. Yeah, yep. yeah. either outlaying or like I said, yeah, you can um, upload the invoice and then wait for the funds to go in. But 
for most times, I think when I had those conversations with the participants and things like that, plan managed seem um, it was a very popular option and mm. I think it still is. Um, self-managed, it's great um, if you have the time. Like it can take up a lot of time and if you're a participant with, you know, high needs and obviously a plan that could be worth two or 300000 um, there's a lot of time taken up that you would be either, you know, uploading or invoicing and doing this via the portal and yourself, whereas a plan manager there that's getting their funding from NDIS to do that for you um, releases, just eases that pressure um, and, again, uh, just still keeps you in control, though, of your own plan funding, which I think is a great option. In terms of paying for things, I know... um... There's some beautiful walking sticks made by, I'm pretty sure it's a company in England. And I was under the impression or someone had said to me um, that we can't buy them through our NDIS money because they don't have an ABM because that's an Australian thing. Um, How do you, like, can you go about purchasing things internationally if you can justify that? So, for example, this walking stick versus an Australian made walking stick. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really heard too much of that. I think I have had someone that has brought um, equipment from overseas and things like that, um, or maybe they're made overseas, but they there's a supplier over here in Australia that sells them. Um, I don't really know the logistics around it, but, I mean, the first point of call I'd say would be just going straight to the plan manager. Mm. Um, they, the plan managers at NDIS registered for one, um, so they know what they can and can't pay. So if there is um, a, a little disclaimer somewhere that says, hey, no, it only can be Australian-bought um, items, um, they should be able to tell you. So the plan manager is for is the agency, I suppose, that's paying the bills if yep. you're using a um plan managed way of management Um, and I think that's one thing that I found is I remember sometimes where you would be like cool yeah go ahead and then my plan manager is like we need or no they would say no we need like permission from NDIS to buy that thing and then you'd be like it's your money go for it yeah like you know I suppose there's a level of knowing what I need versus and then it becomes this kind of weird confusion of things yeah so I I don't understand where that that confusion comes from that was one that always sort of baffled me um I'm as a local area coordinator when I previously was working there it's not my role to approve invoices or to give permission for someone to buy something that's not the role of an LAC um at the end of the day your plan got approved that's your funding if you want to use it flexibly and be able to, you know, obviously purchase other items and things like that, um, the funding is there for you to use. Um, I think the number one um, point of advice that I gave you that if you were going to purchase anything, make sure that you've got something that will back you up um, in case you were ever to be audited, which it does happen. Um, So, but at the end of the day, yeah, it it is your funding and there are cases out there where people have spent their funding um, incorrectly and things like that, which have to be reported um, or they get audited and things like that. But if you've got a supporting letter from that therapist that states why this item was needed and how it benefits and and things like that and how it relates to the functional impact of the diagnosis, then, yeah, you're you're pretty much safe. Um, 
but yeah, definitely not our role to be approving and uh, you've already been approved those funds. I- I'm not there to just, you know, uh, give permission and things like yeah, that. So, right. I, did, I actually didn't one. know that. That's really interesting. Yeah. I kind of assumed that um, and given, like you said, or like I said, the, the communication from my plan management, it's, um, it was always that like, oh, you better check. So that's mm. interesting to hear. And like you've said many, many times, it's all about evidence. And yeah. and it's that's fair because there's taxpayer money and, um, you know, once you've got access to it, you need to be spending it in an appropriate way. So Yeah. And I guess the only way that maybe the plan manager might pick that up is if, um, you know, I've heard stories of maybe a, someone's sent through um, a painting quote or something like that that's gone through, the plan manager would probably pick that up because, um, for one, painting, you know, would probably be, be considered as a um, general maintenance to the home. So that wouldn't be covered by NDIS um, and things like that. So all, like, really strange ones. Um landscaping if someone put in like a five thousand dollar bill for landscaping and had to have all these nice flowers and hedges and things like that the plan manager would probably be like red lights i'd be like well how does all these pretty plants relate to someone's disability we don't have any supporting um, document for it or this wasn't specifically um, outlined in the approved funding so that's where they might just be like um put the brakes on a little bit and they just might want to double check that it was um to be funded This is a tricky question given that, like you said, you're at LAC, you might have a bit of um, clarity on it, but how does the NDIS, and I imagine this is super difficult, approach the design around people's plans given there's so much um, variation between not just a person's life having a, a relapse but also just in disabilities in general? Okay. So, well, everyone is individual, I guess. It's... It all comes down to everyone's got their own um, their own story, and that's where the funding is based around. So, not one plan I would believe ever would be the same. Mm. You know, everyone's got separate needs. This, you know, children. You might have five kids that have um, level three ASD. All five plans will be completely different. Yeah, and so that's it where just, someone like you would come in because we're sitting down to get that individualised plan once we've been approved access. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it all just comes down to the individual needs. Um, Like I said, yeah, no plan would be the same about having that conversation, getting all that information um, and and putting those all those details together. Um, If during your plan, um, like you said, if there was a relapse or if there was an incident that required uh, the funding to be completely changed, um, that's when you can have an early plan review and adjust that funding. Again, it's another conversation. It's um, how does the next plan, um, what, what's the next one going to look like now that we've had a relapse or there's been this incident, um, maybe a change in accommodation or we've moved out of home, employment. So there's a lot of things that can change um, within someone's plan and most I'd probably say maybe... 60% might run through their full term, um, but there is that percentage, I reckon, um, that need that change because, you know, something's happened that they need to adjust their funding for. Mm. And I think is that similar to if you've, you know, if you forgot something or, um, you know, something of significance? I know there's kind of a pool of money that you can um, spend on low-cost 
things that can help. But if you've forgotten something mid-plan, you can do a re, uh, you know, redesign of that plan or re, um, like you can start afresh for the kind of yeah. Yeah, early though. Yep, yep. Yep. So yeah, like I said, if something drastic, uh, like I said, if it, um, if there was a relapse or if there was um, maybe you were kicked out of home or you found a new job in supported employment that you wanted to apply for straight away but you don't have the funding to support you, then that's where you would go back to your LAC and be like, hey, um, you know, this, this circumstance has changed and I'm going to need new funding to support me. And that's where you just have that new conversation and do a new plan and go through that, just that approval again and get your new plan and then away you go. <laughs> now I've got the our last question for today, the classic NDIS question. <laughs> if you don't use your services plan or money, will it get decreased the following year? Oh, this is a... Um, it a must common be a question. Asked question. It is, yeah, and there is that stigma um, around if you don't use it, you lose it. Um, out of, I like to say that that isn't true. Um, there are many circumstances as to why someone might not utilise all their planned funding. Um, there could have been a family emergency through the year. Maybe you were in hospital for six months. Um, maybe you didn't even know what providers were out there. You didn't know how to access. I've um, got a great one. We, yeah. um, You helped me get funding towards a mobility scooter and now I don't need it. Oh, so there you go. There's yeah. a huge amount of funding that won't get used out of my plan this year because I don't need it and next year yeah. I'll look at other other ways that I can kind of prevent any more deterioration. Yeah, yep. So yeah. there's plenty plenty of reasons why. Um, maybe, like, in all honesty, maybe the implementation from the LAC wasn't that great. Maybe you didn't get the phone call to say, hey, your plan was approved and that person sat there all year and they're like, oh, well, I didn't even know it was approved. I didn't even know I had a plan. Um, that can be quite common. Um, wow. but yeah, there's that lots of circumstances. Suck. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So again, it just, when you, when it comes time around for that next review, um, you have that conversation again, you have that discussion, Hey, you, you had maybe $20,000 there in therapies, but you've only used 2000. Like what happened or, you know, you know, like did your, maybe because they were plan managed or that they were agency managed, they didn't know who to access. Um, they didn't know. Uh, what providers were out there for kids or for adults. Wait lists are a big one as well, provider wait lists. I mean, some OTs you could be waiting over 12 months for on a wait list, speech therapy and things like that. So once you've had that conversation again, there's all your evidence to go back to the agency and say, hey, yeah, $50,000 of this plan wasn't spent, but this is because of A, B, C and D. Mm. So um, so not necessarily that you're going to lose it, um, there are just those circumstances where, like you said, yeah, you haven't used some of your funding because you didn't need to. Necessarily going into the next plan, the agency will look at that and they'll be like, hey, like this is a classic example of why the NDIS is here. Mm. Like you, we don't need to get a scooter now because of these other supports that have been implemented. So yeah. that's like a huge tip. But, you know, maybe five years down the road, maybe you might need that scooter. You just, again, in that planning conversation, I'm, I think I need the scooter. Here's the evidence to back me up and, yeah, and you just yeah. go through that approval process again. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so yeah. much, Sarah, for answering, gosh, a million questions about the oh, NDIS. that's all right. And I hope everyone's gotten something out of it. Um, so, can you tell us a bit about what you're doing now? 
Oh, yeah. So I left um, LCHS um, in August and I have started my own business um, called Project Euphoria, which is a day program service for women uh, over 30 or 30 and over um, who identify as living with a disability and perhaps um, experiencing social isolation. Yeah, awesome. And so people want to find, if they're in Geelong and they want to find access or how can they find you to access yep. that program? So we've got some socials going. I've got Instagram and we've got Facebook. I've got a website as well. So just www.projecteuphoria.com.au. Um, it's got all the information on there. So I run the programs Monday to Friday, 9 till 3. And it's a bit of everything. We've got arts and crafts. There's a community outreach, which we've linked in with uh, Geelong Mums. So we're just making some handmade items and everything to be able to donate to them. Um, they do a great job in Geelong and everything like that for the families that are in crisis. So, And it's a lovely way for the ladies that attend just to give back to the community as well. Um, but it's basically about just empowering the females. Um, yeah. That age group, um, I know, for one, just is quite isolated. And I believe there's there's things that are probably just forgotten about um, just in the everyday life of ladies that have perhaps got a disability um, and the support that they get. So, you know, empowering the women, um, getting them more support, increasing their confidence, independence um, and things like that, So, which I think is really important and I think is um, really needed, I think, in our community. So, yeah, yeah that's awesome. a new venture, which has, yeah, been really great and, um, yeah, look forward to more ladies coming coming along. Yeah, awesome. I'll pop all of the links in the show notes so people can find you. Um, Thank you. No, thank you so much. It's (laughs) been so interesting and I've definitely learned something, so I hope um, everyone else has gotten something out of it. Thanks so much. No worries. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of MS Understood. I really hope it helped. You can find Sarah on Instagram and if you're in Geelong, don't forget to check out her programs. You can find the links to everything Sarah's doing in the show notes. You can find me on Instagram at Claire.Riley. The best thing you can do to support this podcast is click follow on Spotify, subscribe on your other podcast listening platforms, and leave a review. This will help others to find all the episodes. I'm always looking for new guests for the MS Understood podcast. If this is you or someone you know, please send me a message via my Instagram account. In an effort to make sure we have representation, I'd love to hear from any members of the LGBTQI plus community, our black and BIPOC community, or any men willing to share their stories of living with multiple sclerosis. I'm also looking for those who can help those of us living with multiple sclerosis. So if you have any recommendations, pop them in my DMs. Thanks again for listening and please share this episode with someone you think it might help.